from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Shining a light on some of the unsung heroes of Ag. I'm Charles Denny. Across Tennessee, University of Tennessee and Tennessee State University Extension agents deliver information to the public on agriculture, consumer issues, and 4-H. That story from Chattanooga coming up on Ag Day. The end of the year rally in soybeans. Will we go into the new year continuing to top $15? The winter storm is gone, but the impact on the markets continues. Transportation has been very difficult. What it all means for prices being paid at the elevator right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Rook. Clinton is on vacation. The aftermath of winter storm Elliott may continue to linger in farm country for a while. From poor performance in cattle feedlots and possible winter kill in winter wheat to additional transportation issues that have slowed cash grain export and feed movement. River and barge traffic has been backed up in rail and truck transportation has also been slowed. At the same time, the demand for grain from end users and feed for livestock operators has stayed strong. Transportation has been very difficult. Uh, so even if you can buy it at a really good price, just with all the winter storms and everything, logistically, it's been a big challenge and availability of trucks around around uh, the holidays too. He says as a result, cash basis levels are historically strong. The DTN national cash index on soybeans is near 20 year highs, while corn basis is at the highest level in 20 years. That's despite U.S. exports being down nearly 50% from last year. Now Chola says his cash merchandising contacts and elevators are indicating supplies are tight. The elevators might think there's even less grain out there than what USDA is showing. And certainly we'll see January 12th uh, what happens there in the next report. But that could be an indication that they're trying to grab what they can uh, and, and be selling as old crop. He says farmers have been pretty tight holders until this week's rally, which has also supported strong cash basis levels. However, he predicts grain sales will pick up after the first of the year due to income averaging for tax purposes. And updating you as people continue to dig out from the massive winter storm, it's reported 56 people died across the nation during the historic storm that most recently buried Buffalo, New York in more than 100 inches of snow so far this season. Officials there saying it's been a struggle to keep fuel and groceries in stock and they work to restore power, clear roads and check homes and cars for people who may still be stranded. And now there's concerns about the potential for flooding with temperatures rising today, making it into the low 50s by Friday. And out west, another storm is lining up that could also bring flooding, including rounds of precipitation into next week. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with the latest. And we will continue to watch kind of the flooding concerns out west here on this Thursday, going forward into Friday and even into Saturday as well as several locations here across the Pacific Northwest are going to be inundated with at least uh, three to six inches of rainfall along the coast. And notice the uh, Sierra Mountains out there as well down into California. They're going to be picking up a lot of moisture from the snowfall. In fact, lots of the Intermountain West are looking at snowfall, which is good news for this area that really needs this moisture. But again, parts of the Sierra Mountains could be looking at pockets of three to six feet of snowfall here 
as we round out this week and ring in 2023. Walking through the future radar here again, you see that wave of energy off the coast there. And it's just going to continue to bring with it waves of rain and again snow for the inner mountain west here as we had on into Friday. Then as we head on into later on tonight, we're going to be watching a severe risk developing down across parts of the Dixie alleyway. And that's going to bring with it the potential here for heavy pockets of rain to parts of the deep south Tennessee and Ohio river valleys. And flooding already happening in western Oregon. Dan Lewis showing us what six inches of rain over 48 hours along with melting snow can do. He says his farmland is underwater. I'll have more under Agday forecast in just a few. A new development that could impact ship movement in and around the Black Sea area. Ship insurers say they are canceling war risk coverage across Russia, Ukraine and Belarus. Reuters reports it follows an exit from the region by reinsurers in the face of steep losses. Reinsurers actually insure the insurers. Protection and Indemnity Clubs America, North, UK and West say they are no longer able to offer war risk coverage for liabilities in the region starting January 1st. Ships typically have P&I insurance. Now that covers third party liability claims, including environmental damage and injury. The moves by the insurers will make it harder for ship owners to find insurance, increase prices and may mean some ships sail uninsured. As the nation continues to grapple with the immigration issues, USDA reports the number of temporary foreign workers in the country has continued to grow. Now look at this chart from the Economic Research Service. It shows the Labor Department certified around 317,000 temporary H-2A jobs last year. That's more than six times the number certified in 2005. It reports about 80% of the jobs last year resulted in the issuance of a visa. Researchers say the H-2A program has grown partly in response to workers here at home finding jobs outside of U.S. ag and a drop in newly arrived immigrants looking for work on U.S. farms. They also say the program continued to grow in 2020 despite the jump in U.S. unemployment caused by COVID lockdowns. Six states accounted for about half of the H-2A jobs filled in 2021. They are Florida, Georgia, Washington, California, North Carolina, and Louisiana. Nationally, the average H-2A worker was offered 24 weeks of employment and 39.3 hours per week at an average hourly wage of $13 an hour. Some good news about gas prices. One industry analyst says they will likely be significantly cheaper next year. But the national average could still climb back above $4 a gallon and that threshold as soon as May. That's according to Gas Buddy projections. But it doesn't expect a repeat of this year's wild swings that at one point sent gas prices above $5 a gallon for the first time. Gas Buddy reports the national average for regular gas is expected to drop to $3.49 a gallon next year. That's down roughly 50 cents from the average this year. It's projecting diesel prices next year to average $4.12 a gallon, with prices dipping below $4 in July before rising back above the $4 mark again next November. Greens posted a rally on Wednesday, but this time March soybeans were able to close above the $15 mark. We'll have some analysis coming up. And later, we'll celebrate all those hardworking extension agents and what many of them love about the job in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package.
2022 didn't just bring higher grain prices, but higher farmland values. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer says the farming sector overall saw assets and equities rise this year and some declines in debt. But he says you can't judge the entire farmland market from a few high prices paid at some Midwest auctions. But I think it does tell you that for some producers in some sectors, it's been a good year. Cash is on hand. Asset values are increasing. And I think that that is and has provided a little bit of land price pressures. The Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago recently reported Midwest farmland values jumping 20 percent during the third quarter of this year, marking 11 straight months of rising farmland values. Grains closed mostly higher on Wednesday. Chip Nellinger, Blue Reef Agri Marketing, joins us with analysis. And soybeans finally closing above the $15 mark. You know, does that open us up to the next level higher here, Chip? Well, it might. You have to kind of take this all with a grain of salt because it's all coming right at the end of the year here. End of a quarter, you've got some funds kind of... Uh, you know, getting in and out of positions, evening things up. You've got weather forecasts in there for Argentina, certainly uh, at play here. And so you have to throw the technicals out just a little bit as we kind of wind business down for the year. And certainly the next couple of days here are going to be, um, you know, really choppy trade, historically very light volume. But you throw in there the fact that we closed it multi-month highs here in the beans. That could exaggerate some additional uh, fun buying and momentum to the upside. But... You've got a long weekend coming and a pretty important, uh, you know, two or three week uh, weather window coming here for Argentina as well. Yeah, I didn't know if we had to close above Tuesday's high, which we failed to do. But, you know, if we get above what technical objectives are you watching to keep this rally going, though? Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see where we close the week with all the things that we said there with the year end and the, and the funds and the weather forecast. I think right. if we close the week above 15, even if we're under, um, you know, Tuesday's highs, um, it still looks good technically. But, you know, a lot of times you can look at a chart and say, OK, this is a strong close technically. It projects to the next level higher, which, you know, really for all intents and purposes is going to be in the gap that's up near 1540. But it's right. a weather market. So even though we're deep into winter here in the United States, it is a full fledged weather market, depending on the forecast. That's going to change daily. And you've got a long weekend ahead of us here, too, with no markets on Monday. Yeah. Does corn keep going here? Now we're up into chart resistance again. We really are, uh, you know, another strong close. I think a lot of that could probably be attributed to, you know, fund short covering. Uh, some of the shorter term funds were, you know, had been uh, building up a short position here recently, uh, right in line with the seasonals going into the uh, end of uh, end of the year and start of the new year. You're getting a little bounce, obviously weather related, but uh, you know, here in the in the mid 680s all the way up to. You know, the low 690 is going to be a much harder resistance on this corn chart. So do some sales up at these levels then, right? Yeah, I think if you've been sitting there and you're, you know, had good crops and you're light on sales, this is a great area to catch up uh, with some sales. Basis is pretty good in most areas. Also take a look at new crop. We're up there north of okay. six bucks, north of 14, and that's very uh, strong levels for the new crop positions. Chip Nellinger, Blue Ray Bagger Marketing. More Ag Day coming up. Farming has changed. Markets are riskier than ever. For customized, focused commodity marketing, contact Chip Nellinger or Adam Dreyer at 309-550-7213. Peter 
meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us. And Andrew, it looks like we're going to have uh, another round of maybe some flooding and severe weather before we round out this year. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be watching the Dixie Alley closely for today. It's not going to be a wide scale severe weather outbreak. That's going to be very isolated as far as strong to severe thunderstorms are concerned. Uh, but something that we're going to continue to watch here on this Thursday and as we round out this year. And the severe weather risk for Thursday across the Dixie Alley will be scattered in nature, mainly looking at a few damaging wind reports possible, as well as a hefty amount of rainfall. Here's a look at uh, future track as far as precipitation is concerned. Uh, parts of Louisiana, Arkansas and far eastern Texas could be looking at three to six inches of rain and the moisture doesn't stop there. Parts of the Tennessee and Ohio River Valley. Uh, we're going to be looking at the potential here for a few inches of rainfall as well uh, from this system. A low pressure system associated with the cold front is going to be moving on through causing with this some flooding concerns and that front is likely going to stall out here across parts of the Tennessee and Ohio River Valley adding to some flooding concerns here on this Thursday. Let's walk you through this here on the future radar projection here as we go throughout the later on today. Again, we're going to have that stalled front beginning to increase here across the far eastern Texas, the northern tier there of Louisiana and southern Arkansas. We're going to be watching the potential here for a few hit and miss stronger to severe thunderstorms that could likely develop here along that front and that will continue as we head towards Friday morning as well. Here we are paused at 7 a.m. Notice we'll have a few stronger thunderstorms uh, to watch out for and underneath of those embedded showers and thunderstorms we'll have to watch out for heavier pockets of rain. Meanwhile, we'll be watching a hefty amount of snow for parts of the Intermountain West here as we head towards the second half of Friday. Walking through the jet stream, we're still going to continue to watch kind of a little zonal flow taking shape here across the northern half of the country. That's going to keep things active to our north and then as we head towards uh, next Monday, we're going to be watching a potential winter storm and a potential severe weather outbreak as we begin the new year. Let's look at high temperatures across the country for today. A lot of the country, especially on the eastern coast, are going to be well above average for this afternoon. Check out St. Louis, 63 degrees, 70 down into Dallas. That's a look across the country. Now let's take a look a little closer to home at your Ag Day Select Cities. Logan Sport, Indiana, drizzle, showers late, high 52 degrees, going over to Benton, Louisiana, heavy rain, isolated severe weather, and going over to Denver, Colorado, a morning flurry with afternoon sunshine, high 40 degrees. Still ahead, new numbers show the nation's cattle herd continues to contract. Plus, a strange story out of Colorado, a report of 80 pregnant cows stolen. The latest cattle on feed report shows the nation's cattle inventory is continuing to shrink. Producers in November placing 1.93 million head into feedlots. That's 2% lower than November 2021, but was above estimates. And feedlot inventories as of December 1st coming in at 11.7 million head, 3% below last November, which means we're looking at increasingly tight supplies of cattle. Now, feedlots are also very current, selling the highest number of cattle for any November on record at almost 1.9 million head. Placement number is the only number just a little bit out of line, 98%. We were expecting 96. So, yeah, 2% on the negative side. But I don't think that that's a big enough number, a big enough change that we're going to have to worry about it too much. I still think the overall fundamentals, we see these on feed numbers lower and we're seeing a big marketing number. Uh, tighter numbers are coming. Varlick says the marketing number also shows how current the market is and that feedlots are pulling cattle ahead due to higher feed costs and higher prices. Cash prices are at seven-year highs 
and live sales are over $22 a hundredweight on average, higher than November of last year. An investigation is underway after a rancher says 80 pregnant cows were stolen off of his Colorado property. He says they were taken off of his 18,000-acre ranch 30 miles northwest of Springfield. That's in the southeastern corner of Colorado. Steve McEndry says the cattle are valued at $100,000. Now He says he noticed they were missing when he went out to feed them the first week of December, but he didn't report it until just before Christmas because he wanted to make sure they hadn't just wandered onto a neighbor's property. McEndry posting on Facebook about it saying, someone took advantage of the cow's location near the corrals and went for an easy payday. He says they are mostly black cows and the ear tags are predominantly blue Y-Tex tags. He says to watch out for unknown semi-trucks and cattle trailers. The Colorado Operation Livestock Theft Program is offering a $2,500 reward for information leading to a conviction. They are an important part of helping out rural America. Up next, the unsung heroes, extension workers in the country. Across the nation, extension agents work every day to educate and help people. That's the case as well in all 95 counties in Tennessee. Charles Denny of the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture has more on the agents and their common goal of impacting lives. A gathering of public servants, some 600 UT and TSU extension agents meet to learn and find new ways to be effective. Extension recently had a statewide conference here in Chattanooga, but these agents are from all over. Extension is the university in your hometown, our state's land-grant system on your front porch, all 95 counties as one campus. It's a calling. Uh, I think it's something like being in the ministry. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work across the state uh, in three regions and, and uh, actually three districts as well. And so, uh, you know, the needs of our communities across the state are, are the same. With no matter what county you're in, getting out there, connecting to the people, getting involved in, in boards and committees and groups. As you all know, we have a serious problem on our hands. Well, it's not on our hands, it's on our corn. <laughs> if you remember Green Acres from decades ago, this may be your misinformed view of a county agent. But lovable Hank Kimball was comedy, not reality. Agents today work in agriculture, family and consumer sciences, 4-H youth development, and community economic development. Kane Reeves was a 4-H'er who grew up to be a 4-H agent. I think the, the difference that we make in the lives of people in our communities, uh, me specifically working with uh, youth. June Pewitt has served Hamilton County in FCS the past 42 years. I'm just motivated and seeing the impact I make on people and the difference I make in the community, the partnerships I've built. I'm not ready to leave it yet. It's been eight years since Tennessee Extension last held a statewide face-to-face -face meeting. In that time, the organization has gone through some changes with lots of retirements, but also new, younger agents joining up. Bridget Passman is one of the youngest county directors in the state and an effective 4-H leader. I've been in Tipton County for five years now and I can say that my 4-H'ers that have been there and have stuck with me for five years, they're being my talking billboards. They're going back and recruiting friends. And today those veteran agents mentor their younger counterparts. 
38 years with extension for David Perrin. September 1, 1984. Yeah. So we've seen the technology change drastically, but the mission of doing a one-on-one -on -one visit with a family, a person, a partner, all the same. We just use different tools to make it happen. They say they love this connection, knowing what people care about, what they need, and how Extension can help. This is Charles Denny reporting. Thanks, Charles. That's all the time we have for this morning. From everyone here at the Ag Day team, have yourself a great day.